I want to welcome in those of you who are joining us online. It's good to have you when you can't be in the room with us uh, to be able to join us through the internet. So welcome to Freedom Online. Uh, We are one more Sunday going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, I'll go ahead and invite you to turn with me there to Ephesians 3. 14, we've been in this series where for the past four weeks we've been looking at uh, a glimpse of what God has called us to be and to become as a church, particularly over the next uh, decade. If you haven't been here any of those Sundays, uh, you can go back and access those on our uh, website, myfreedomchurch.net. Go to the sermon archives and listen to any of those. I would encourage you to do that. Um, You know, it's interesting, I've been a Christian a long time, over 40 years, and uh, it's funny to me how long it takes to learn some of the most basic things in, in the faith. You ever discover that, that you're just a slow learner about some things? And for me, one of the most fundamental things in the faith is one of the things that I was slowest to learn, and that was to discern the voice of the Lord. Uh, I grew up in a church that uh, wasn't really into anything that even slightly resembled uh, the charismatics, and, and we would hear people who were more into the gifts of the Spirit talk about things like visions from God, and that just scared the bejeebers out of us, and so we ran away from anything like that. But uh, in the last five or ten years, as I've learned more about discerning the voice of the Lord, I've come to understand the very fundamental uh, concept that when we think, you know, we tend to think in two ways. We think in pictures and we think in words. But a lot of how you process stuff and how you think about stuff is through images. Well, God speaks to us primarily at the level of our thoughts, and so sometimes he'll speak to us in words, but a lot of times when God speaks to us, he speaks in pictures. I know that's real simple. You all probably got that a long time ago. It took me 35 years of being a Christian before that started making sense. I'd hear people talking about what God had shown them or God giving them a vision, and I'd I'd tend to kind of shy away from that. But I've come to appreciate and understand so much of the time when God is speaking to me that he's just speaking at the level of my thoughts, but that while I was always tuned into the words that he would speak, God oftentimes would speak through pictures. And I've learned over the years to let him flesh out those pictures and to give the meaning behind those things. And so a lot of what this series has been an attempt to do is to help you see some of the pictures that God has given me as the pastor of this church of who he's calling us to be and what he's leading us to become as a church. And it's part of what's beautiful in the scriptures, the places where God gives us pictures of what it is he's trying to say to us. Much of the Old Testament's just a lot of Uh, very detailed pictures of what God would say to us. And in a sense, it's what Paul is doing as he's sharing with us this prayer that he has for the church. He's painting a picture of what God has shown him that the church is to become. And God has really personalized uh, this prayer in Ephesians uh, 3, beginning in verse 14. And I want you to go ahead and grab a pen if you don't already have one in hand, because there are five words I want want you to underline or circle as we uh, take a moment to walk back through this prayer again. And I'm going to take a couple of minutes here on the front end and just walk back through the whole prayer and say a word about each of the five key pieces in this that God's spoken over Freedom Church. Beginning in verse 14, which is where we started four weeks ago, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Underline the word family because that's the first key word for us that God has spoken over this church that we must come to to realize how we belong to the bigger family of God and that we must learn to think and operate like a bigger family and that family is not defined by who shows up in the four walls of this building that's where we talked about being kingdom minded and that God is calling us to really raise the bar not just for us but to set a pattern for other churches to follow in family thinking in kingdom thinking and in recognizing that these other congregations around us they are part of our family and that we must make some strategic partnerships with churches in our very close proximity and two of the key churches for us as a starting point for this are going to be Grace Church in Fairhope and the Union. And so thinking as a family, the one family that holds the name of the Lord as our family name. That's the beginning point. The second part uh, in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Underline the word power. The second piece in this is that God has made it very clear that we must be intentional and careful that we don't allow ourselves to fall into the trap of relying on our gifts 
and our facilities and our programs to be what we're centered around. That we must be a people who absolutely depend on, trust in, call on, and believe in the power of God to do what human resources cannot hope to do. And that can be summed up pretty well in the following few thoughts. Healing the sick, freeing those in bondage to demons, saving the lost, and restoring the brokenhearted. And only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. Good counselors can't do that. Good music can't do that. Good preaching can't do that. Only the power of God can do it. Moving forward, verse 17, So that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Underline the word together. Another key piece that God is speaking over Freedom Church is that we must be focused like a laser beam on always working to bring people into close relationships with one another in the context of particularly of small groups and of groups that have not existed in our church prior to the last year or two, but adding groups of of connections where men connect with men in groups of two, three, or four, and women do the same with other women for the purpose of multiplying discipleship being very intentional that we're going to make an investment in one another for a season of 13 to 15 months, growing together, coming to experience and learn to live in and to express the love of God together so that we then turn around and and invest this in the lives of the next group of people and then the next generation of people. But learning to do life together and then moving forward to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Underline the word love. That God is calling us to raise the bar in the area of loving other people and specifically embracing and going after people who don't look like us in their skin color, people who aren't like us in terms of their background or their beliefs and how they grew up or in their lifestyle. And being a church that doesn't just say, well, you know, there's the door and if you walk through it, we'll shake your hand and give you a a comfortable seat. No, that we're people who go out those doors and go after people who felt disenfranchised by the church and say, you're our kind of people. You're the kind of people that Jesus loves, and so that means you're the kind of people that we love and we want relationships with, that love becomes the defining mark for this church. And now to the fifth and final piece. In verse 20, this is the part everybody loves. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be Glory, everybody say glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And Paul isn't done with the letter, but he's just got to stop and say amen right there. That's worthy of an amen. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a church that looks like everything Paul just prayed over the church? A church that, that is always living for the glory of God. A church that's filled with the power of God. A church where people are really together. They are in community together. That's the kind of church I want to belong to. I want to be in a, a church that's all about the family and that's kingdom minded. That's not territorial, but that says we just want to see the kingdom of God advance. I want to be in that kind of church. But I'll tell you, we're going to finish on a point that may trump everything else that we've talked about. When today we consider the, the glory of God in the life of the church. You know, I have heard people frequently ask the question over all of my life, you know, why am I here? What is the point of life? Why are we doing this? What, what, what is the reason for me be even being here and being alive? And I'll tell you, in trying to sort all that out, you, you need a beginning point that is all defined by God. We all are created and designed to bring glory to God. And until we get that, nothing else that you build on top of that has any lasting meaning. Paul is concluding his prayer, not by winding it down, but with a great crescendo. All of these things that are going on, they sound impossible. Don't they almost sound too good to be true? I mean, the things that Paul's praying for the church, doesn't it almost sound like pie in the sky? If you grew up in church, it does. Because most of us did not grow up in a church that looked like that, did we? Maybe y'all did. 
Are you with me? I mean, I, I grew up in church and I love the people I went to church with, but church did not look like what I just read. It looked very different from that. But Paul, he lays these things out that, the, that he's praying that the church in Ephesus and the church beyond, that the church of the 21st century would become. And it's like he realizes that at this point, some people are kind of shaking their heads as they're listening to the letter going, Paul, that sounds great, but I mean, I don't think we can ever pull that off. And he says, but remember the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power, not your power, not your gifts. It's his power. It was his dream in the first place place he's able to do immeasurably more than i've just said by his power at work within you now glory to god in the church i want to bring glory to myself in the church that's what god is saying the father is saying you know what i formed the church to give me glory i created every one of you to give me glory in fact i sent jesus to bring glory to myself he did that almost messes with our heads, doesn't it? I mean, we hear that, and at some level want to go, well, God's just kind of full of himself, isn't he? He just made it all about him. It's all for his glory. Isn't there a part of you, come on, be honest, there's a part of you that goes, wow, God's pretty high on himself, isn't he? He's extremely high on himself. Because he's the only being in the universe that can be completely high on himself, and there's nothing arrogant about it. Because he is the one worthy of all glory. You see, when we get high on ourselves, that's arrogance. Because we weren't made to be high on ourselves. We were made to give glory to God. And this is what the first point, that really the primary point of the message is about. That the greatest dream and goal of the church is the glory of God. Everything that Paul has said and prayed, all of these things of loving one another and cooperating in the family of God and operating in the power of God so that people are healed and are set free and they're saved, all of these wonderful things, none of those are the ultimate goal because the ultimate goal out of all things is that God would get glory because he deserves it. The ultimate dream and goal of the church is the glory of God. Now, we may hear that and go, well, that sounds terribly churchy, but I'm not sure what that means at all. Well, it means a couple of different things. Because when we talk about the glory of God being our goal and being our greatest dream, that, that kind of operates in a couple of different directions. For one, we do have to understand that basic concept that we are made to give God glory. We exist for God's reputation to be advanced and for His goodness, His character, His radiance and greatness and love all to be reflected in our lives so that when people see us, they get a little glimpse of the goodness and the greatness of God. And anything that we do beyond that is so secondary as to hardly matter. That's the truth. Now, part of why this is really important for us is because we get tangled up about everything else. Oh, God, I've got to make a decision over here. I've got to decide what kind of career am I going to pursue? Am I going to be an accountant or am I going to be a banker? God, I've just got to know your will. What's my life supposed to be about? And God's saying, here's what your life's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about giving me glory. Bankers can give me glory. Accountants can give me glory. Dishwashers can give me glory. Service station attendants can give me glory. Mechanics can give me glory. Attorneys can give me glory, I think. No, I'm kidding. Attorneys can give me glory. Even preachers can give me glory. You see how much it simplifies things when we're all tangled up in, oh my goodness, you know, what am I going to do in this decision that I've got to make? You know, God, I want to make sure I do the right thing. You know what God's saying above everything else? Make sure you give me glory in whatever you do. Make sure that while you're doing that, that you're loving people and you're loving me and you're reflecting my character and that you're enjoying me while you do that. And you know what? I'll be tickled to death. I'm not saying God never cares. Sometimes God has a specific assignment and he's very faithful when we seek him to show us what that assignment is. But so much of the time we're tied up over the details when God is saying what I wanted was for you to enjoy me in the doing of whichever of these things that were put before you that you chose. 
for you to enjoy me, for you to reflect me, for you to love me and others while you did that. And I get glory in that. Doesn't that make life a lot simpler? To realize I'm walking in the will of God when I'm seeking to give Him glory all the time. Giving glory back to God, which means giving Him the credit. Advancing His reputation and His name is pursuing the glory of God. Now that's one aspect of that. The the giving of glory. Just declaring that He is worth everything. And He is, by the way. If you're hung up on that, and I know some of us are. Some of you watching and listening online are just going, this isn't doing a thing for me. Because it sounds like God's got an ego problem. I want to assure you he does not. He is the eternal one. He is the one who, by his powerful spoken word, formed everything. By his wisdom, everything was planned. All that ever has happened, that is happening or ever will happen, none of that has escaped his notice and none of it will cause his ultimate plan and will to be unraveled. That is an incredible God. He is a God whose greatness cannot be contained in one place and his radiance is so bright that it lights all of heaven. He doesn't need any sun, moon, or stars in heaven because he is just so glorious. He is that God. And I want to tell you, he isn't being arrogant when he says, you know what, I I am worthy of being praised. When Jesus and the Holy Spirit are constantly giving honor and glory back to the Father, when the four living creatures described in the early chapters of Revelation and the the elders on their thrones surrounding the throne of God, while they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, the everlasting one. He is worthy to receive honor and glory and power and wisdom and riches and blessing and praise. And they fall on their faces and they cast their crowns before Him and declare, He's worthy. He is worthy. I want to tell you, the closer you get to God, the more you become convinced He is worthy. He is worthy of constant praise. He is worthy of all the glory any moment where we question is he just being arrogant i mean is he just making it all about him in a real selfish way it just tells us we haven't gotten nearly close enough to the real god because the closer you get the more your heart cries he is worthy he deserves it now that's this direction but when we talk about the glory of god being our highest goal There's an aspect of the glory coming in this direction that needs to be our other chief goal. And that is that the glory of God would descend among us. I told you the Old Testament becomes for us this running series of pictures that God gives us of these tremendous spiritual realities as God's trying to communicate truth to us. He gives us these snapshots of truth in the Old Testament. And one of them that's so compelling... Is throughout the whole Exodus. You remember when the people of God were set free from their captivity in Egypt and they spent 40 years getting to the place that God was, had prepared for them and wanted to give to them. And during that time, the, the presence of God with them and the glory of God manifest among his people. You remember how he manifest that by day and by night? There'd be a cloud by day and there'd be a pillar of fire by night. And as they would camp in a particular place and Moses would set up a tent of meeting where he and his aide Joshua would go in and meet with the Lord. Do you remember what, what the, the glory cloud would do? It would descend on the tent of meeting. And Moses and Joshua would go in and they would meet with the Lord face to face. It says in Exodus 33 as a man talks to his friend. We don't know what all got said in those exchanges. But we do know that when Moses would come out from that tent... He reflected so much of the glory of God that they said, dude, you either got to buy us all sunshades or you got to cover up your face. It's just unreal how there's something that's sticking to you. When we see this glorious thing descend on the tent of meeting and we see you go in and somehow while you're in there, something happens to you that when you come out, it's like it's stuck to you and it's just radiating off of you everywhere you go. By the way, the glory of God will do that. 
The manifest presence of God will do that. When God shows up with his people in a powerful way, it it sticks. And it radiates from us when we go out. And that becomes a picture of a New Testament reality. We get it again and again in the Old Testament. I, I put one of those passages in your outline. 1 Kings 8, 6 and following where we just in recent weeks had studied uh, about David and his son Solomon and how it was on David's heart to build a temple for the glory of God, a center of worship, a place for the glory of God to dwell. But the Lord said David could help supply that, but it would be his son who would build it. And so Solomon went to great lengths, spent many years having this temple built for the glory of the Lord. And when finally the time came to bring in the Ark of the Covenant, which had represented God's presence with his people and to put it in the Holy of Holies within the temple. We read about what happened on that day that the priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. And when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud. Jews in the Old Testament didn't need an explanation. When you said the cloud, they knew what that meant. The glory cloud, the presence of the Lord. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. It's an incredible picture, isn't it? The people did what they could do. They spent years preparing. They they spent years thinking about all that needed to go into preparation for a place that would be an environment where the people would come to worship and God would be present with His people. And when everything had been made ready and they brought the Ark of the Covenant in and all of these things had been consecrated and prepared and they're just asking God, come, come and, and be among us. And what the writer records is that God himself showed up. The glory cloud descended on the temple. And it so filled the temple that the priests who were always busy doing their busy human activities, interceding between people and God, doing sacrifices, presenting the bread of the presence, all of these things, all of that got shut down in that moment because God was in the temple. Even the priests just had to get on their faces and worship because there was no longer any room or need for anybody to run around and do busy stuff. All they could do was just worship the great God who had shown up. We get multiple examples of this in the Old Testament where God's glory just descends amid times of worship. And suddenly there's no room for all this other busy human activity. People just commune with God. You know, this still happens. It's good that we carry with us an awareness of God's presence through every part of the day and the week. I mean, it's an incredible gift that God, through His Spirit, lives in us who are followers of Christ. And He's with us all the time. But it's also critically important that we understand that there's something sacred that happens or has the potential to happen when we gather together as the family of God. Seeking Him. Seeking to give Him glory and inviting His glory to descend among us. Is God with you through the week? He absolutely is. Is there real potential for God to be with you in a way that is very distinctly different from that when we gather in here? You better know it. And it's part of why... It's not okay to just sort of mail it in and say, well, I'll say a prayer. I'll have a quiet time. I'll just, you know, stay in bed and watch online this week because it's easier to do that than it is to show up at church. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up watching online, but we all know sometimes it's just more tempting to do that. Sometimes it's a great gift that you can watch online because you couldn't be here. But there's something incredible that happens Or has the potential to happen every time we get together. And I'm just saying this as simply as I know how. This has to become our greatest goal, our greatest desire every time we gather. That God would get glory in everything that happens, but that His glory would also fall on us. Have you been in services where that's happened? I have. I've been where... The glory descended to the point. I don't mean where you had to have sunglasses, but I mean spiritually speaking, you needed sunglasses. Nobody could preach. 
There was no need for anybody to testify. I mean, I've been where there just wasn't a need for a microphone anymore. Because nobody on the platform needed to do anything. In fact, you just had to go ahead and clear the platform because God was just at work in the room. And from end to end, front to back, people just find themselves with faces on the concrete. Just worshiping and repenting and crying out to God. People getting saved even though nobody's standing up and preaching. How in the world does that happen? The glory of God shows up. That's how that happens. I'm telling you, when Jesus manifests his presence powerfully in a place, words cannot define the effect that it has on a human heart. We have put so much confidence in good music and good preaching and good programming that we have lost sight of our desperate need for the manifest presence of God among his people. Freedom Church must be one of those churches that exists for the glory of God, but that always expects and hungers and begs for the glory of God to descend. And by the way, those two things are related. Uh, People who are constantly living to give glory to God are the kind of people that God's glory descends among. This is our call, that we would be this kind of church. The focus of every worship service at Freedom Church must be to glorify God and advance His reputation. And should always be characterized by a hunger for and a, and a seeking after the glory of God and the manifest presence of God with His people. I, I had my heart just come alive as a 16-year-old when I first began to hear people describe in more recent centuries the different situations where the glory of God has descended and revival has broken out. And it wasn't just a church that was impacted. Every time this would happen, whole communities and oftentimes entire nations and continents, sometimes multiple continents, would be drastically changed because God showed up. If we had time, I could stand here and just recount for you one instance after another of of the different times when this has taken place. I mean, the first, second, and third Great Awakenings uh, in the United States are great examples of this close to home. Azusa Street in the beginning of the 20th century on the West Coast. There has, I mean, if you go back and just read the simplicity of these few people beginning to seek the Lord and how the glory of God fell on just, I mean, a tiny number of people in a very humble place. And yet, when the the glory of God fell and something began to spread like a wildfire, there has never been a movement of God that has sent out more people into the world on mission than what happened at Azusa Street in California about 110 years ago. Nothing There are hundreds of millions of people who are documented to have come to faith in Christ as a result of what came out of Azusa Street where the glory of God fell on just very simple, small group of people hungry for God. We've got to become the kind of people whose hearts just get absolutely spoiled to the thought of seeing the glory of God fall. Seeing God show up And not being willing to settle for routine. Anybody besides me just sick of religious ritual and routine? I am. I am so done with that. If that's all we were going to do, I'd just say let's shut the doors and go play golf or find something to do on Sunday. But I am. I know. I'm not here. You're not here for religious ritual. We're here because we need a connection with God and His family. This has to become our chief aim. Isaiah 26.8 became the theme verse of the whole passion movement. And it's a great one for us to lock on to. It says this, it, it, just, it should become the declaration of Freedom Church. Yes, Lord. Walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. I encourage you to just commit that one to memory and let that one be just a passage that you rehearse Every time that you come into worship, whether it's personal worship or into this place, yes, Lord. That's a good starting point, isn't it? (laughs) Just to, to say, yes, Lord. 
Walking in the ways of your law. I know we wouldn't say it that way today, but Lord, walking in your ways. Wanting to live our lives in a way that would honor you and that would reflect your character to bring you glory. Walking in the way of your laws. We wait for you. We're content to do that. We're not good at that, are we? That's why we've all got these on. We've got lunch to get to. We've got things to do. We've got meetings. We've got family to do things with. We've got other places to be. We want to see the glory of God. Our hearts had better learn to say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we'll walk in your ways. Yes, Lord, we'll wait for you. Because God, regardless of what else happens today, if we don't experience you, today's probably been a failure. Lord, we wait for you because your name and your renown, your reputation, those are the desire of our hearts. Oh God, we want to see your name honored. We want to see your reputation advanced. And that's what we live for. It doesn't matter what we do for a living. It doesn't matter where we live or what we drive. God, it's all about you. We want to advance your name and your reputation. This is the chief aim, the highest, greatest dream and goal of the church. Now, one other specific point that I'll make is this. There are a lot of different ways that God gets glory, but this passage is a reminder to me that God, among other things, gets much glory when His children and His church reproduce. And because this is a a series about the things that God specifically called this church to. I'm going to say this as kind of a footnote to the primary thought for the day. That God's assignment for and future legacy of Freedom Church can be summed up best maybe in just one simple word. Reproduction. Churches were made to reproduce. And most of the churches that I've ever been affiliated with have completely lost that. It's as if someone neutered them shortly after they were formed. They have no idea how to reproduce. The closest they can come to that is let's send some money off and do mission work in some foreign country. We'll just put some money together in our envelopes and we'll have a check written. And hopefully that will do some good somewhere else. Churches like Christians are made to reproduce. And God gets much glory in watching his children and His churches reproduce. God's not only the ultimate father, God's the ultimate grandfather. Proverbs 17.6 is just a, a reminder of something that means more to me now than it used to. It says, grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. I don't really like thinking of myself as the aged, but I am a grandfather twice over. And I have learned, you know, it's it's easy for us to grasp You know, when you say, what are the most glorious days of your life? And it's easy to say, oh, my wedding day or the days that my children were born. We all can identify with those things. Those should be days of glory. But Solomon says, you know, for the aged, they get much glory out of their grandchildren and the birth of their grandchildren. There's something wonderful about watching your children bear children and raise children. As a grandparent, let me say, there is something wonderfully glorious about that. You get all the pleasure and none of the pain. Amen? I mean, that is wonderful. Like, and, and I know all women are like, you know, sending a little little hate stare to me even when I begin to talk about childbirth because y'all are all thinking, you don't know nothing. And I understand that. We, we know nothing of the pain. But let me just say, as men, we love when the baby arrives. We get that we don't know what the pain is. But it's bad, and we get that. And as wonderful as that day is, it's scary, isn't it? I mean, your wife's hurting like crazy, and she becomes some demon-possessed person for about 45 minutes during the whole process. I mean, it's, it's just it's a wonderful, scary, terrible, wonderful day altogether, isn't it? The day your children are born, and, and from then on we romanticize it. Oh, it's the most wonderful day, and it's like if you could be put back in that for a moment, it's like, holy cow, I forgot. I was just scared out of my mind. You know, Everybody was. It's, it's wonderful. But then... You experience this wonderful thing of your grandchildren being born. And it's like you get all the good and a little of the bad, you know. Didn't have to be in that room where all that messy stuff happened. You just get to go, yay, there's a baby here. And 
He's so wonderful to look at and hold, and he just made a mess. He's yours. You know. It's the glory of, of the aged, their grandchildren. In a sense, there is a, a spiritual um, equivalence to this, that God not only loves to see us be born, but he loves to see us reproduce. Guys, by the way, we lost some lights, if y'all don't mind tripping us back on. At a personal level, we're called to reproduce. We've talked about that already. At the level of the church, we are called to be a reproducing church. Paul in his prayer said, To him, to the Lord be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. The only way that God's going to continue to get glory throughout all generations is that reproduction, spiritual reproduction, has to be happening again and again. We must be making disciples who make disciples and church plants must plant new churches that plant new churches. And we have lost sight of how to do that in America. We have. Most of us have been in churches that have just fought to stay alive and have had no thought of reproducing. I, I'll just tell you, and it's, it's a sad commentary on things, but when uh, I've told you I spent most of my life as a Southern Baptist, and I, you know, for those of you who have Baptist ties, I don't, I don't, you know, I'll poke fun at some of my own heritage, but I'm very grateful for how I grew up. I'm very, and, and I love all of our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. I've just never been a big committee person, and I got asked at different times in this association to be a part of different committees, and I always said no except to one. And I finally agreed to be on one committee, and it was the church planting committee because that was dear to my heart. And I said, I absolutely, as a church planter, would be into helping to plant new churches. And so I said, sure, I'll serve on that. So kind of against my better judgment, I showed up at my first church planting committee meeting, gathering of pastors to talk and plan strategically about pointing resources and people toward planting churches. And in my first meeting, I found out why I never should have said yes. Because in my first meeting, we're shown a map of the county, a county where we ought to be planting churches. Sixty percent of the people in this county are in church, so it's like, wow, great opportunity, great mission field. You want to know the first thing you have to see on the map? You have to see the circles around all of the churches within our denomination that already exist so that we know that we can't plant within these circles because we don't want to offend anybody by getting within so many miles of the churches that already exist. Seriously? That's how we think about reproduction? Well, we could plant churches, but we've got to make sure we get so far out in the woods that nobody can find us because we don't want to get within five miles of an existing church. Are you kidding? 60% of the people out that door are unchurched. I don't care if you plant a church in our parking lot. If you can reach somebody we're not reaching, get busy doing it. We have to be the kind of church that says, I don't care what the rules are. There aren't any rules that apply anymore other than make it happen. Get busy planting, plant, 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 reproduce. Because churches have a life cycle. Just like all living things have a life cycle. If... if I've actually thought about doing this at times. I know it would be crazy and people probably wouldn't actually do it. I thought about just on a Sunday saying, we're, we're done early today. I know that you'd die of a heart attack if I did that. But, uh, you know, just saying, we're done early. Get in your cars. Don't go home. Go ride the roads and find as many churches as you can find. And just check out what's going on. What you find is a lot of empty parking lots. Nearly empty parking lots. Churches that have nice buildings. That have been around for ages and their ministries have, have all but become ineffective. Because you see, churches have life cycles. All great movements have life cycles. It's a, it's a pretty predictable thing. Every great thing that God ever initiates, it starts with a man or a woman. God speaks to a man or a woman and says to them something about what he's about to do and invites them to join in. And if they're the right kind of man or woman that cooperates with him, that man or woman acts on that and reaches out to other people. And what started with a man or a woman becomes a movement. As other people get on board with what God is doing. And now there's life change that's taking place. And if you watch over a long enough time and that movement is given an opportunity to grow in advance, that movement will in part become a machine. As there are more and more people involved and now it just it takes 
more structure, more planning, more organization to take care of all that's going on now in this movement. And there's a bit of a machine aspect to it. It doesn't mean it's evil. But there's a lot of time and energy that's put into meetings and and figuring all this out and keeping it moving. And given enough years, what what was a movement that became a machine will ultimately become a monument. There's a building. There's land. There's a name. But there is no movement. There is no life. There are just some caretakers who are left behind to make sure that the lights are still turned on. How many times have you watched that? If you drove up and down the roads today, you could find a lot of those monuments. And it's not a put-down to say that that's a normal life cycle. Now, the good news is God will breathe new life and, and raise up a new leader and create a new movement within a church. And it can be born again and again, but about every 30 years that has to happen. So that essentially it's almost like a new church has to be birthed within that church. But the best way for that to happen is for that church to be birthing new churches. We can't give glory to God in every generation. We're not going to reach every generation if we're not birthing new churches designed to reach that generation. And I I already just sense it around the room right now. I'm close to being done, but I need you to hang with me on this. You, You understand we're not reaching the millennial generation. We're not even reaching 10% of the millennial generation. There's never been a generation since about 1730, 1740 that's ever been this far removed from the church or spiritual matters. It's what's coming of age right now. The church that has been has no clue how to reach the millennial generation. Churches have to be birthed that are designed to reach that generation. It's going to take leaders from within that generation to reach that generation. And we've got to be a church that's a part of doing this whole thing of multiplying. So... One final thing that I'll say in relation to that and all of this is that God invites and challenges us to dream big when we think about these things. Paul has said in verse 20, I love the message translation, God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Do you hear in that God's invitation like, why don't you just dream big? As you seek me, why don't you dream big about what you want to see me do? Why don't you ask me to do those things and watch how much bigger I come through? I've been dreaming and asking and listening and watching. And some of the specific things that I feel like God has spoken in terms of giving definition to those dreams that I just want to lay out for you as I wrap up here. And the first one in relation to what I've just been talking about is this, that I believe that God has called Freedom Church to plant at least five new churches in the next ten years. I believe that is a word from the Lord. For some of us that's exciting and for some of us it's like, are you kidding? Some who've been here since day one are going, do you realize how hard it's been just to get to here in five years? Yes, I do. I certainly do. This isn't my first rodeo. I know how challenging church planting is. I believe that we are specifically tasked with planting five churches in ten years And that we must be intentional to make sure that all five of those churches have the DNA, have the right leadership in place, that they are equally committed, that they will be church planting churches. That they absolutely will not exist to see how big they can get and how strong they can make themselves. But that their measure of success will be how quickly can we train and raise up new leaders that we'll send out to other places. Five churches in ten years. I believe that Freedom Church is called to plant churches both in our region and internationally. And I, I'm not going to sit here and try and program a plan. I just I believe that God is telling us that part of what we're going to plant is going to be very close to us. And part of what we plant is going to require some people from here answering the call to go to other countries, to other continents. And that we've got to be willing to fund that. And I believe that we're supposed to make preparations now to plant our first church within the next two years. Now, I've really been seeking the Lord for a long time about these things because I don't want to make up some arbitrary stuff as goals for us. If we do that, we're just going to fail miserably. I do believe that God's called us to these specific things. I'll just tell you, um, you know, if you've been around the last several weeks... This whole giraffe thing that God laid out there when it, months and months ago as just a picture that was supposed to be instructive for us about the church. And so after I had finished the message for this week, and, and I'm at the point late in the week that I'm rehearsing the message for today, actually 
you know, I'll preach it alone three times before I ever preach it in here. And I'm preaching through the message, and uh, I'm usually totally done with study at that point. And I get to this point in the message, and I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, look back at the whole giraffe reproduction thing. And I actually went back and did a good bit of reading about giraffes. I'm like, I'm kind of thought I was done with having to read about giraffes. And I'm, it's almost like I want to go, can I call time out on that? Because I'm rehearsing a sermon here. And I just felt like, nope, stop what you're doing. So I pull out my phone, and I'm Googling giraffes and reproduction. And it's like the first thing I read, I guess it was the second thing I read actually, said this, male giraffes reproduce for the first time typically when they're seven years old and on average will reproduce every two years from that point going forward. And it clicked as I read that. Six weeks ago we celebrated our fifth anniversary. And I'm sitting here reading the point in my outline of saying, in two years, we're supposed to plant our first church. Interesting, this giraffe would be seven years old at that point. And that I feel like God had already given a word that we're supposed to plant five times in the next two years. That would be an average of every two years. And I just thought, that's actually a pretty cool confirmation, the whole thing of beginning to reproduce when something's seven years old and reproducing roughly every two years. I really believe in my heart that that's a pattern there's nothing magical about that, but that's a pattern unique to, to Freedom Church that we will plant our first church when we're about seven years old and that roughly every two years we're going to get to plant again, but that we have to plan for that. We have to prepare for that. That means we've got to start budgeting for it now. Through 2018, we've got to be putting money back toward the next church that we're going to plant. We could spend that money on making all of our facilities and programs that much nicer and more appealing. We're going to split what we spend so that we're putting money back constantly towards church planting. Part of what we've got to do is be intentional to look for people who have the heart and the shape to be church planters. I'm just going to step out on a limb and tell you, I think we already have one of those families already in the church. When God brought Charlie and Katie Lemon here, they already had that DNA in their hearts. It didn't take long to recognize that in them, and it's why every week we're spending time together, not just doing this work of learning to be disciple makers, but we're being very intentional that every single week we're working on developing Charlie as a church planter to be prepared for everything that he could be equipped for to handle as a church planter going forward. I know I didn't warn you I was going to talk about that, Charlie, but that, that you know what? You just need to know that. I'm not trying to put pressure on Charlie that you've got to be the guy in two years. I don't know if you're the guy in two years, but he may very well be. I want you praying about this stuff. I want you going before the Lord about this stuff. I want you giving generously and sacrificially because we're not just trying to keep the lights on. We're here to change the world and bring glory to God. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to make an investment of ourselves and our resources. And we're going to have to be the kind of people who have an attitude that says, we'll, we'll pray, we'll serve, we'll give, and we'll go if we need to go. God, if you want to send me somewhere else, if you want to make me uncomfortable and send me out to help start something new, I'm willing to do that because it's for you and your glory. I also believe that each of our small groups will be reproduced and needs to be reproduced at least every two years. A part of the strength of this church, if you look around this room, most of the people who are in the room have a connection to a small group, either an adult small group or a connection through Celebrate Recovery to the small groups that happen there. If we're going to reach people, a fundamental piece, that together piece, we've got to be reproducing in our small groups instead of just protecting what we have. Now, all that I've shared with you over the last month... That's God-sized stuff. We can't manufacture what we've just talked about. We need God to come through. Don't you believe that's what he wants to do? Let me just ask it at this level. Do you want to see, do you passionately want to see what we've been talking about for a month? I do. Who do you think wants it more, us or God? I'm convinced God wants it more than we do. So can I suggest a God-sized prayer for, for us? I started praying this prayer years ago. I'll share it with you. Um, the, the easy uh, reader version, I had not ever seen this particular translation of the prayer of Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3.2. He puts it this way, Lord, I've heard the news about you, and I'm amazed, Lord, at the powerful things you did in the past. Now I pray that you'll do great things in our time. Please make these things happen in our own days. 
That's a good prayer for us, isn't it? Don't you ever just get to the point that you're tired of hearing about the great acts of God, all past tense? Or on other continents? My heart beats with what Habakkuk is praying there. Lord, I love that you did it back then, and I love that you're doing it over there. But I'm not content for that to be the end of the story. God, renew those things in our day, in our time, in our place. Make yourself known. Extend your glory and your reputation by your power and presence manifest here with us. Would you join me as we turn to the Lord together in prayer right now? God, our hearts are hungry for you and for you to move among us and work among us. And I pray that by the work of your Spirit, you would salt our souls, that we would become thirsty for more of you. While we're bowed together right now, I just want to ask you, is that your heart? There's no guilt or shame about this, but when you look at your own heart, do you find yourself hungry and thirsty for God, or do you find yourself just hearing that and thinking, I wish my heart was really hungry for more of that. I remember when I used to feel that way, but my heart feels kind of numb or cold or dead toward that. If that's where you are, it's okay. The best thing you can do is just acknowledge that. And if that's where you are, why don't you just say, God, I need you to stir that thing in me again. I don't think I'm hungry enough for you. I don't think I'm, I'm at a place that I would passionately pursue the things we're talking about today. Help me. Meet me where I am, God. If you know there's something in your life that keeps you from being there... Whether you're here in the room or watching and listening online, would you just confess to God if you see there's something in your life that really is, it's a hang up. It's what's keeping you from hungering after God and seeking after God because you know this thing has been the stumbling block for a long time. Would you just confess that to God? Would you ask for His forgiveness and would you just ask Him to remove that obstacle? God, would you make yourself known among us? We long to see you do great things in and through Freedom Church. We don't want to see that for the advancement of our name. But Lord, for the sake of your name, your powerful name, your beautiful name, Jesus, we wait for you. We long for you. It's your name and your renown that are the desire of our hearts. Come today. Meet us here today, we pray. We ask this, Jesus, in your name.